Welcome to the Carmen Murray Show, where we have conversations about 21st century business and culture. Together, we'll play in the customer experience sandpit, leaving no stone unturned as we address today's burning marketing issues. CMOs need to be more versatile than ever before as they abandon stale thinking, integrate data insights and technology, create seamless brand experiences, and maintain customer-centric human connections to serve and simplify their customers' lives. From the Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, 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 Future Patroi, welcome back to yet another episode on the Carmen Murray Show. Today is like a big moment for me because I have three people in the room that I admire tremendously. I've got my fairy godmother, Faith Popcorn. She's the Nostradamus of marketing. She's a futurist. She's a mentor. She's a, she's just like, Oh my gosh, it's just everything. And uh, such an inspiring woman. She has once again offered some of her time to give hope and to, to give advice to us here in, in Africa, which I'm super proud about. So Faith is with us today. Then we have Mr. John Foster Pedley, the Dean and Director of Henley Business School Africa that's joining us. He is a force to be reckoned with. He loves chaos and building planes while you're flying it. I'm privileged to work with him um, on a one-on-one basis with Henley Africa. And then, if that's not enough, we've got the legendary Karen Zoit with us today. She's known as the Queen of Rock. She's one of the top musicians in South Africa. She recently got ordained as a professor. Let's start with you, Karen. Oh, it's just an adjunct. I'm a, I'm a film school dropout, actually, Faith. I've admired you for many, oh, many years. And, thank uh, you so much. My average was D minus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to say that just off the bat, I mean, you've influenced me so much. And Thank you. In our world in music, I mean, a few years ago, I started diversifying, but you've influenced me on a massive scale. Yeah, the professorship came about, I don't know how, I don't know why, but I'm involved with the Center of the Advancement of Non-Racialism and Democracy at the University of Nelson Mandela. It's just wonderful to be part of that community. That's kind of what, it's just always been a part of who I am. I grew up as a white Afrikaner. <laughs> My grandmother was racist. <laughs> My other grandmother was racist. <laughs> I love both of them dearly, but I didn't agree with them. And I've lived with that difficulty of yeah, navigating a world where you're very um, different from perhaps your own people, but also so much alike. And yeah, and I ended up in this role. And um, even though I appreciate it a lot, I sometimes wonder why. The imposter syndrome. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I want to write a song with you, though. Okay, what are we going or to call it? A song about the future. I don't know. I've always wanted to write a song. A I would love song. to. Okay, love to. that's a deal. Let's do it. COVID-19 happened, and the last time, Faith, when you and I were talking, we might not have seen it coming the way it did. No, no, I have to say, no. I mean, I knew we would. the planet would end, not this time, though, by a virus, but I did not think it was now. Not this virus, maybe the one after next. Wow. And, and you're 95% correct, which makes that even more scary. Well, maybe I'm wrong 5%. Though. Well, I mean, um, the other 5% hasn't happened yet, as you always would right. say. Yeah, right. Just take us through what has changed in your life since lockdown and since this pandemic. 
first of all, I want to tell you how much I admire you, Miss. I mean, I love her. I think she's brilliant. That's why I became her fairy godmother because like, you know, many women, she doesn't know who she is. I'm still learning, you know, it takes, it takes a minute. And then I'm very privileged to be on with uh, the two of you. I fell in love with South Africa. A man named Mark Lockman came to me a couple of years ago and said, you know, I think you have possibility in South Africa. I want to open Brain Reserve in South Africa. I go, don't be ridiculous. You mean the South Bronx? I mean, South Africa? No, not. And he goes, please, please, please. I know I'm right. I don't know. What about this guy? I just said, well, if you can deliver, you know, a, you know, an assignment, a big assignment. Okay. Then we got Investec. You know, we did a lot of work with Investec, the most wonderful bank. Everybody has to switch to them. Okay. Personally, what happened is that I'm on the run all the time. I mean, I spent the last like four decades. I started my business in a studio apartment. And then from then on, nobody understood anything I was talking about, at least for 10 years. My sister used to bring me tuna fish because I wasn't talking to my mother, you know, because she you know, other reasons of pain in the butt and on and on and on. And, you know, uh, I spent my time, you know, gathering brilliant people, futurists, trying to figure out the future. Maybe I was guided to being right. How could anybody be so right? No, no methodology could make you that right. Although people go, are you a psychic? Are you a seer? I don't think so. I just think I can connect things, you know, maybe a little bit differently than other people. And then this thing hit. And I don't know if you know, I have two adopted children. Both are Chinese. I was raised in Shanghai. My father was CIA. That's another story. My big girl, she's 22. She's at, uh, she's at Wash U, so she wanted to stay there. And I took my little one, who's 15. I have a house in the country. And I must have spent, in all the time I have this house, since 1985, if I ever spent two whole weeks here, that would be a lot. In my 90 days with my daughter and her sacred nanny, who's been with us 21 years, and my dog, now I got another dog, got a puppy, but I started to figure things out. I thought I had figured them out, but I had not figured them out. And I started to see different things. And I started to kind of see the waves in the world. And I started to see personally you know, places that I was not using my God-given time in the right way with people that were not very nice, that needed a lot, that just not contributory. And and then I started doing my passion, which is reading. And then I started looking at every kind of thing on, you know, every series. And then I found I had time and I could actually... I never wrote that much. I mean, I always had Liz Marigold is my, um, she's not a ghost writer. She's my co-writer. She's a, she has my voice. She's brilliant. She has my voice more than my voice. If, if, if you, she was on here, it would sound more like me than me. And she's my best friend. But then I start to write on my own and I feel, and I'm on a beautiful pond and across the pond, there's a there's a beautiful swan sitting on her eggs, and the dad is patrolling. And I hope this doesn't sound ridiculous, but I'm studying birds. There are birds' nests, little goslings. And I thought, what have I been doing for the last four decades? I feel like I came into my own thoughts and my own thinking, and I could be a much nicer person. And I have time for anybody. I sent to all my clients and, and not clients you know, if you want to talk to me, no charge, you know, please, let's talk. We've had the most wonderful. When you take commercialism out of it, 
you can have the most wonderful conversations. So personally, I feel, even though I know it's been very difficult for very many people, that I have been given a gift that I'm going to try to give back. John? Yeah, that's uh, beautiful to hear. Um, Thank you. And you look great. pretty good, too. Well, thank you. Hey, you're welcome. I, mean, I feel, I feel uh, you amazing. Look nice. You look very handsome. Thank you. Tell my wife. You guys are amazing. Um, it's actually wonderful to be with you. All of you I, I have huge admiration for, uh, sincerely. A couple of thoughts about how COVID has changed things for me. I think um, we, we're an educator, so we're doing face-to-face education. So the first thing that had to happen, we had to change. But it was quite interesting when Faith talks about prescience and anticipation, etc., um, I was really curious when she was talking about how that came to be, how she started to see things. Um, I used to be a, a pilot for my living at one time. Hmm. You're trained in flying to be very situationally aware. You have to detach from what your senses and also what your mind is screaming for. So if you do a lot of meditation, you you understand that uh, yeah. screaming mind going on. Uh, all the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think one of the disciplines that pilots engage with is, is to really see that little dot on the horizon as not a dot, but a a plane coming towards you, or the line on the horizon on the sea being a tsunami, not just a line. So you get to see vague inferences and subtle cues, and it becomes a habit of mind. And a lot of our education, I think, stops us thinking like that. You want to see tangible realities, here measurables, high-impact things. So the subtlety is lost. We gain all those through the arts and through music and poetry and dance and, and, and just through watching and beautiful intuition uh, and i think we lose that so we were quite lucky i think to have been aware of this i was in milan before this came down and thought i was really safe and came back but you could see when you're looking at what's happening in the world with covid that this is going to hit us so the first observation for us was that being situationally aware and enormously conscious but detached was really important and that allowed us to see things early to imagine what it was going to be like, and then to put things in place that allowed us to, to switch our education. The second thing is that what I've loved is that working virtually like this has completely internationalized us. So now, look, look, look at this. I mean, I'm talking to heroes Aww. of mine. You know, it's just phenomenal. Um, and, and in the States, wherever. And you're, you're immediately internationalized and you're immediately democratized. Nobody, nobody cares if you're the boss or not very much anymore because information has to flow. So if you are this nodal point that goes up mm. and down all the time, the information, you're just out of it. So you've got to get into the flow. So you've got to throw yourself in the water of this wonderful kind of communication and then let your mind go. I mean, I, I'm a strong believer in strong opinions likely held. Oh, I love that. And that allows you to flow. So I think it's those are the sort of things that are happening to us. And it's quite an adventure, um, although a very dire situation around us. But within that, I mean, I think I think adventure is in often very, very tough circumstances where you find adventure. And I don't mean to trivialize it, but it's that venturing, exploration, making new things in very tough circumstances. So I feel privileged to be part of that. And I think that's how it's changed us. Karen? Well, for me, I mean, it's disrupted the music industry quite <laughs> heavily. I was about to do my 20th year massive arena concerts touring. The, the last gig I did before lockdown was with the Cape Philharmonic Orchestra, and I was set to do wow. big concerts uh, all over the world. By now, I would have already been in New Zealand, Australia, the UK. So that was the bad part is that uh, my uh, traditional 
my plan was disrupted. I think the best part about all of this to me has been that I, I relate with what Faith said about how you notice the small things again, because during um, this pandemic, we're all so stressed and there's a, a collective anxiety and a fear that we all share, maybe a grief that we all share. But in these times, your humanity reminds you that this time will pass. It will get better and we'll forget how it was, how bad it was, how sick we were, how stressed we were, how worried we were. But we will never forget how people treated each other. So it's really also, I also feel on a spiritual level and a human level, I um, I think I've grown a lot, mm-hmm. you know. And as much as you say, John, with the screens and the, you know, this little piece of glass, we're almost reminded it's coming, it comes from sand. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We're going to go back to sand in the end. Uh, something I think as a woman, you know, when you maybe give birth or, you know, uh, in your in your life, in your cycle, you get reminded of life and death often. So we live closer to it. Um, but I think the whole world to be faced with mortality in this way we look at it's obvious what the negative effects are, but I think the positive effect of it is that hopefully we're going to have a lot of people that are truly human and we might have a whole bunch of fascists on the other side that do extremes and I feel happy to know that I have so many friends and colleagues in this time that I've connected with on a on a deeper level, on a personal level. And to me in my life, everything I've ever done has come from relationships and I mean that's all we have in the end. When you know, when it comes down yeah. to it, it's uh, you want a friend, you want somebody that cares, and you want to be somebody that cares. Yeah. You recently published um, the future of pandemics uh, a report, and I am very interested to understand what did you discover. Well, you know, we named and framed a trend called cocooning in 1981, and um, you know, I've been tracking it ever since, and. Um, you know, we helped Detroit with the minivan and everything that we, we told um, all our clients that everything would be delivered home. Um, this is growing. No. And then this hit and bang, everything that we said would be take three years, five years, nine years happen like boom, you know, telemedicine, mm-hmm. everything home delivered, home education. It's like a keyhole into the future that's been so compressed. It's like a time warp. That's what I'm seeing. There's no future. Future is now. I don't mean there's no future, but, you know, it's everything you thought was later is now and um, kind of turns us upside down. John, so, so what is your view on, in the business environment? Like, what is the impact of pandemics on the economy? What do you foresee the changes that needs to happen within the business organizations? Well, very briefly, you know, there's a lot of words we use like business and strategy and X, Y, and Z, which, which we think everyone understands, but we all understand them differently. So what business is, let's, let's design business is the exchange of something of value, quite often for something else of value, normally money. So it's not corporate. So let's talk about business in its biggest sense. So what it's done to us is, I think, to, to make us refresh what we mean by value in multiple ways and why we're working. So we're not working for profit purposes. I mean, a lot of people do, but we're fundamentally working for shared prosperity. And I think the one thing that's gonna mm-hmm. happen is the capitalistic system we're working with, we're gonna question how we're working and the unintended consequences of everything we do, so we don't smash up our planet, destroy people, have very high Gini coefficients and leave people in poverty. So that's a, a sort of deep 
ontological kind of change in the way we see the nature of, of business and the nature of being. Practically, though, what it's done is hammered people who have any face-to-face -face interaction, who depend on that, who depend on whose purchases are discretionary, whose purchases depend on having a very high, high degree of proximity, whatever. So what we're inventing now is something called the low-touch or the, the distance economy. How do you build businesses where you can't be close to people in the same way? So obviously working from home, as Faith and everyone's been talking about, Faith's been talking about for many years, has become immediately apparent to everyone. And joy, oh joy, the things we thought were, we would lose, we would lose, we haven't. And what we've gained is the capacity to communicate. We've suddenly discovered that in many ways we can work better. We have to be better on our platforms. We have to be better in visually sharing information. We have to be more succinct in what we say. And so we're learning to work from home. We're looking to create value from home. And secondly, we're learning to switch our, in the short term, switch our businesses from face-to-face -to, -face to virtual surrogates. You know, somewhere how we, we've got to virtualize everything we do. And that's quite exciting. Beyond that, we've got to recover into economies which are going to change, so a lot more services, but a lot more care about what it is we're doing all this for. Because the digital world de uh, democratizes so much, um, we've got to learn to engage with that, but we've also got to be enormously clever in how we don't get trapped by fake news and false, uh, you know, and, and a trolling machine and the disinformation machines. So there's a whole set of new capabilities we need to understand develop our mind and above all we need to know ourselves i think a lot lot better i mean i'm challenged on every day who am i what am i persuaded by you know so when karen was talking about as a woman you know i think as a man and, and quite often people don't talk as a man because you know we're kind of the reticence around that now that the man trope is something that's very kind of quasi abusive and so we need to start talking about what a woman and what a man means in this new world. And that really fascinates me, how we, how we evolve in, in something far more constructive and engaging and collective. So, so Karen, you're a musician. You collaborate with a lot of artists. And if I look at the corporate world and the business world, what we tend to see is this is my territory. This is my product. I'm very, very protective. We don't collaborate. Like, I don't know, like, for example, McDonald's and Burger King. Like there was this whole proposal for them to create for Peace Day to create a McWhopper um, and to combine their two products. And I think McDonald's refused to be part of that. It seems like now we're moving into the age of collaboration where we've been talking, 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 but all of a sudden this is becoming a reality. From your perspective, Karen, how do you find working with other people that's your competition? Well, I had... Great success. The biggest financial success, certainly, of my career has come from collaboration. I have a chat show um, called Republic of Zoid Africa, Republic of Zoid Africa. And I'm the president there, and I invite people to it. We started out as a joke to our ex president, Jacob Zuma, who had like, I don't know, 50 trillion ministers in his cabinet. So I just became the president of my own country and I have hundreds of ministers now. We, we, I started collaborating with all of the top uh, South African artists doing a song at the end of each episode. And we accidentally had like number one hits on, on Apple, another one, another one. We have, we've had like 56 or... Wow. What I've come to learn from collaborating, and beyond that, I've been able to do 
things on a big scale for charity organizations and NGOs and various things. What I've learned, John, to get back to that thing, you say as a woman, it's very important to state where you're looking from because hmm. we assume that everybody gets you. We assume that we know what Bruce Springsteen is about. I promise you, if you pick up a guitar and you sit down with Bruce Springsteen, he's going to be quite different from what the image is. Just as a rock musician in my early days, people thought I was satanic because I smashed guitars and I burned things. And, you know, I've had, you know, or you're, you're a woman, you can't drive. You're black, you can't swim. You're an Indian, you must be stingy with money. You're Jewish. You, they, they, we all the old stereotypes. Say what we like. They're there. They're so deeply ingrained. Even if you're a free thinker, as I think all four of us are, we've had to it's been part of who life for so long that you accidentally could assume something about somebody without meaning to. Um, so what collaboration does, if it's done in for the right reasons, is it brings connection. And the minute that you have connection, you have true communication and you can actually make something. You can make a million mm. bucks. You can make a difference. You can bring about change. You can start... For, for that, for me, certainly in music, there has to be a sense of vulnerability. <laughs> so you've got to open it up. And that's where we all struggle. Um, you know, you're going to take off your clothes now. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> so, so that's what it's like when you're playing a song. So I mean, I want to write a song with you, Faith, but that's what it's going to be like. I'm going to write a song with you, John, if you want. Please. I can't wait. Let's, you are, he is a musician, by the way, as well. So, uh, fate. So, so but but music, the the joy and the curse of music is that place of vulnerability where you you're exposing yourself and making yourself vulnerable to threat. It can hurt immensely uh, if you get rejected on that level, as if you were getting rejected in the most private part of your life. But if you're accepted on that level, it gives you strength and it gives you insight. Mm. For me, the biggest joy of my career has been making music with other people, especially if you take the person's song and, the, and you know, we're doing one of their songs and I'm, you read the words and, and, and I have to arrange the music. I feel like I connect with them. I feel like I go into their brain, into their soul, and it's a deeper level. It's almost like mm. if, you've, if you've had a bribe with somebody, a barbecue with somebody, you know, you know each other now. Or if, you, if you've been on a plane with someone and had a chat, just a new, but but to play music or to make something in that form or in collaboration, and I think it could be that way in business too, is is to have true connection. Yeah. So as I was listening to Karen, it was like these lyrics were coming out. I said, "Put that to music." I mean, it's like she <laughs> <laughs> to touch on that point. I'm Karen. Very valid point is diversity inclusion. We seem to suffer from this thing where we keep on in, in the business world. Recruiting people that are the same, just like yeah. us. We want to have people that are just like us. And this is why innovation has so much more to give if we have diversity inclusion. I call it the apocalypse of zombies because we are zombies. We're not zombies because we're all zooming all day long. And I've witnessed being on, on these screen to screen uh, meetings. It's like there's certain people that always have a voice. And I'm wondering, what is the impact on diversity inclusion now with the screen-to-screen -screen world um, that we're living in? Because I don't know if we're going to take a step backwards or forwards. Diversity and inclusion is very difficult. You know, 
we just want to look in the mirror. I thought I was such a liberal, but then I adopted two Chinese daughters. I became Chinese. They tell me I'm Chinese inside. When you have children that are a different race, I recommend this highly. That's not why I did it. I did it because I related, you know, I'm a China file because I grew up there. I never wanted a white baby. Um, I want a Chinese baby, but I don't see the difference. I truly can't see the difference between my kids. I think I look, I think they look just like me, or I think I look just like them. I lost the mirror. But to say, you know, there's such a, like a wall, you know, I have a lot of Afro-Americans that I know close to me, I think, but there's always something that, you know, you know, I'm always afraid. Are they thinking inside, you know, you bitch racist. I'm just, you know, being nice to you, but Mm -hmm. you know, because I went to, you know, I'm highly educated and I need to, but I know they think uh, somewhere that I'm a racist. I, I don't know if I am. I, I don't think I am. So I don't know. It's not a melting pot. I hate to say that. It's just not. And I feel sorry for all those mm-hmm. HR people that are trying to force everybody together and tell them to get along and they're all the same. If you have a common goal, maybe it's easier. But I recommend uh, adopting or biologically having children not of your own race, and then you will understand much more closely if somebody says the China flu, you know, China virus, you feel Chinese and you are really pissed off from an organic level. I know there's an odd point of view, but that's what I'm thinking. I really resonate with that because I think... Thank you. We talk a lot about empathy as if it were a thing, but it's, it's an experience. And, and how do you get to that experience of empathy? It, it's painful. All learning is painful. And so when Faith says, I don't know if I'm a racist, that's just where I think we will. I was brought up as a middle-class English public school educated person in the colonial times. I'm, I'm sure I was deeply inculcated with every ism, racism, sexism, classism, deeply. And I think I remember in my 30s when I'd been working in Ghana when and, I, and I've been in South Africa, too, when I was just confronted with the fact that, my God, I'm making different thoughts about people according to their race. If you'd ask me, you'd say, no, I've got friends who are black and all that sort of thing. And I said, no, of course I'm not racist. I suddenly realized that deep, deep in my conditioning were these ideas, these formations of thought, like a virus that had been fed into me when I'd been so young and unknowing. And I didn't know. I'd be there. And then I, I felt embarrassed and vulnerable and whatever. But then it said, well, okay, embrace it. I think mo- probably most people have this this sort of thing happen to them when they're defenseless and you program. How do you get out of it for the rest of your life? So I think confronting that we, we're populated with these isms is, is quite an important thing to start with because it gives you the opportunity of escaping and then finding that relationship, that connection, uh, that, uh, that proper beautiful connection that both Faith and, and um, Karen were talking about. If you can find that connection with people, something happens that's beyond words that is just so kind of life enhancing. And I think I found that my journey to try and find out what's in what, what I am has been has been beautiful for me and painful and embarrassing. That's a beautiful comment. I just want to say one little thing and I love what you're saying, John. Thank you. You know, I'm in boardrooms sometimes and they go, Are you a feminist? Well if you have a vagina, you're a feminist. I mean my God, what kind of question is that? Like ridiculous. So yeah, yes. Well, apparently, and I'm pleased to say, it's not just if you have the female apparatus. If you if you have a, 
I've been us too, apparently. So uh, feminism for everyone. So I'm really, I'm really interested. I'm really interested in that because how do you, how do you become that? How do you become a feminist? Yeah. How can, how can you, rather than being an ally or whatever? Yeah. If you're a man, you're brought up. I don't care where, unless your mother's really a psycho. You know that you are supreme because you have this thing outside your body you know, mm. hanging out there. Why would you ever have to get, how can you get over it thinking that you are king? King of the, you know, and that's what being not a feminist is about. So it's- Well, well all I can say is that most people in locker rooms are not strutting around with this massive pride in their thing. Most people are sitting around looking at it and saying, is mine big enough or good enough? So I'm not sure- Obsessed that quite it. such a supreme, supreme experience to have. You know, but that's another another oh, angle. Well, we can yeah. never talk about that. <laughs> oh my I goodness! Think, actually, I think robots will make it a vestigial organ because <laughs> that's where we're headed. Wow! Yeah, it's a very good point. Karen, there's a saying, African uh, proverb. It says, "If you want to go fast, go alone, and if you want to go far, go together." Oh. Yeah, one of my favorite artists here in South Africa, Vusi Matlasela. He's a freedom fighter during the struggle years in South Africa. And uh, after the struggle, one of the biggest forces with in terms of reconciliation and a, yeah, a mentor to me, his message to the world and to anybody he meets is the message of Ubuntu, which is basically that I am because you are. We're only as strong as the weakest amongst us. And I think capitalism is teaching this lesson, the end of capitalism, post-capitalism, where we are now, it couldn't carry on like this anymore. It can't, it's, and, and I don't know, Faith, that's what I would like to ask you. What do you think the role of Africa will be, will play in this new world? Because we've got such a different, I mean, I've read your report and you know, all the robots and the AI, and we have a different situation here. I mean, like at the University of, of Port Elizabeth, when we had lockdown, our biggest worry was how were people going to be able to get the information because they don't have Wi-Fi in rural areas. Um, data is expensive in South Africa. And, I mean, they're actually, at one point, they were considering using the freaking radio station to, to broadcast audio to the people. So I always feel in one way, like, is Africa the weakest or is Africa maybe the strongest? What is the role that our continent will play in the coming days? Africa is different, not weakest and not strongest. I don't claim to understand Africa. You know, when I was invited to work there, I was going like, I don't know. Stranger in a strange land, you know, I don't want to say anything ridiculous. I mean, you know, you had Nelson Mandela. We had Martin Luther King. That's what it takes. This woman I know at Investec, she does something small. I forgot who said, if you save one person, you save the world. So if you can just develop or help one or 10 or a little school to look at Africa. I mean, I've been there as safari. I've seen the planes. I go like, I've seen the people sitting on the sidewalk and in, in the, you know, in the gutter, just sitting there. And anybody that thinks that they can solve this quickly, I mean, anything that, you know, Bill Gates and Melinda Gates have done, you know, to bring like, you know, computers to bring, you know, I'm passionate about orphanages and like to help little kids to nurture one, two, three, to educate 
just take one. That you know, I had. I, I, I'll just tell you fast. I met with um, Colin Powell once, and it was it was a big deal speaking engagement, like six thousand people, and I was so honored to be on a platform with him. And he spoke, I spoke. After I said, "Oh, please, please, um, you know, what can I do for you? One child." You take one child. I said, no, 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 something, give me something like flashier. <laughs> he says, no, that's who I was, just letting you know before I had these kids. You take one child. And, you know, I adopted my first daughter. I said, really? It's just one. Then my daughter, you know, I want a sister. I want a sister, which is what I said to my mother. You know, synchronicity, it echoes through. I said, okay. And I got two, but I wish I had 20 here. You know, and I say, and I'll say this on your program, Carmen, because you're the great messenger. I will help anybody adopt or get a child. I will spend any time, all day, any resources if anybody wants a baby or not a baby, uh, a child. All I can say, Africa's way too big for a person, one person. Just take one person. Yeah, I love I love that, and um, it, it's so it's so thought provoking, um, because you know you truly can change one person by changing one person. You can change a thousand people's lives just by showing goodness. I, I just want to jump in. You know what? What frustrates me um, about our continent is that people, you know, there's always this kind of need of the image of helping. Sometimes is stronger than the actual need to make a difference. And I right. love what you're saying, Ira, about making one child. It's actually, for me, it's just do it properly. Instead of trying to show numbers of how many, you know, as a musician, you get asked in this country often to go and help this orphanage and that orphanage. And then they'll have a fancy do with, you know, silver service. And, and they'll say, we've raised a million. But legally, they could have. They could take certain amounts of money off because of administration and the, 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 the way of doing it and the intention behind helping. For me, it's, a, it's more than just take a child as why, because you want to, you know, why, why do you want to do it? Because th it's almost like that. There's so many things that, that are fashion or fad. Yeah, in the world, it's become fashionable to be socially conscious, but how many people actually what get their hands dirty and i mean that's what mm. i i admire mm. you for taking an entire person on a journey being more than you know my company's called mothership because that's how important mothership is to me to be the mother actually a mother a harbor for somebody we we just did a documentary about nelson mandela's childhood and how his mother was a harbor and in history books nothing about her nothing mm. and mm. she doesn't care she wouldn't care today it was only about her son. Exactly. And if we can mm. live like that. Um, so what about you and getting a little tot in your house? I have a son. He's 13. He's, the, he's a, on the edge of the teenage years really going full. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to add to Karen's story. And then I would love to hear um, John's thoughts on, on all of this. So Sarah McLachlan, many years ago, took a song, um, World on Fire, and instead of doing this production, you know, editing, filming, she just had a camera in front of her and she was playing her guitar and she sang with the mic. And she created this infographic 
this say editing would have cost me ten thousand dollars this ten thousand dollars went to kenya to go um to go and feed kids in the school um the video would have cost x y and z and the filming and the the staging and the that that i don't know all the stuff that goes in, into it but she created that three minutes to create how taking that money instead of making a proper produced video take that money and change africa and it ended up changing millions of people's lives for a long time yeah that's a gr- that's beautiful that is setting a social example. And sometimes when I see these TV ads and so forth, you know, if you're a good brand and you resonate and you market well and you, you really treat your customers with respect, you don't need to spend all this money on advertising because ultimately, if you take that money, you can, you can help the digital divide. You can help with digital literacy. You, you, can, make, you can make a difference. And I think that's the a part that, I mean, I sometimes sit in meetings where, I hear 10 million rand per month being spent on social media. Then I want to die to deaths, <laughs> but it's, it's a reality. And, and, um, you know, trying to, to make a difference. I think there's many ways of how you can be creative about it. John, I want to hear your closing thoughts and, and where do you think businesses in general need to focus? Um, pandemics is the reality as, as Faith clearly stated, this is something that we need to deal with. How do you think businesses need to to actually embrace the agility economy? This is the most wonderful conversation to be part of. I'm, I'm deeply touched by by Faith and, and Karen. I really wow. am. It's just beautiful. Well, I loved. I love knowing you, John. I I, I want to know you. I want to know you longer. And well, I'd, I'd love to. You're do a that. beautiful man for a man. Well, that's very kind of you. <laughs> 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 love you John John okay. you're getting too many compliments but thank you I'll take them there are days when I really need them so thank you. <laughs> to save them up I, th- I think it's really important I mean the first thing obviously having a child in your house is the biggest thing not the smallest thing you can do it's I mean, the biggest I, I've got a 15 year old and a 14 year old I'm a late dad um, I think in, in terms of business, it's really interesting. I think, I mean, I just go back to what's it all for? You know, I was brought up in England. Lucky, I, I used to walk through the woods, uh, traveler, you know, I'd go out and I'd have an enormous amount of freedom uh, to be in nature. And I think I think that wow. was, was deeply close to me. And you'd be able to see the flight of a bird or hear and be able to identify every single one and the butterflies and whatever. And you, you'd have that experience. I don't think many people have that. So when I see what's happening around me in nature in the world or just not even in the game park, just in my garden out here, um, I want my kids to have that. And, and it hurts when it when it's broken. Uh, it, it hurts. And, and I think it's not... And it hurts when you see people who have opportunity and intelligence who can't escape. Um, you know, I say we confuse education with intelligence. Just because somebody is educated doesn't necessarily give them gifted intelligence. And because sure. they're not educated doesn't mean they're not intelligent. In fact, we all have a pretty good level of intelligence. I think what, what business needs to do is think much more about the unintended consequences of what they do. The context yeah. on this world, what's going to happen to our world? We are trained to think in stock market in short terms, we've got to think in like that Native American sort of idea of seven generations decisions. You know, why are we, why are we thinking so short term? What world do we want to grow up in? What, why is this system we bought into become so short term? And I'm not one who wants to destroy a system and replace. I don't think you can do that. 
I think you need to evolve people. Most people in corporate life, funnily enough, have deep sensitivities and many, many people have a lot of sensitivity. They're locked and trapped in something they can't see an alternative. So when Yuval Noah Harari talks about the meta-narratives of capitalism, religion, the stories that drive us, I think we need to create a new story, another story for this future world that, that is sufficiently captivating, mm -hmm. captures people's emotions and meaning that people can walk to it because I think they'll be persuaded more by that than they will by the rationality. So it's the storytellers, the, the musicians, the futurists. These, these, getting a story that makes more sense will drive change a lot more than just hammering people on rationality. So I think the biggest thing we need to do now is develop a much better, more inclusive story that matters to us, that we know it's going to work. But then business needs to orientate towards that story, not to this narrow one they have now. Yep. Okay, so I'm going to put Karen on the spot as we close off. As she mentioned on her show, she announces the ministers at the end of each of her shows. So I would like for you to announce your ministers in your Whoa, cabinet okay. <laughs> in this room um, and then also sing us out. Wow. Yay. Okay. <laughs> if I had to make John a minister, the one thing I, 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 I'm so glad that I have opportunity to speak to you as well. Everything you just said about uh, where business is, you know, that's where art is at the same time. That's where the entertainment industry is. And on the artistic, on the art side of entertainment and on the academic side of, of business, we're always busy with what's the meaning of it all. We're always the philosophers on the side. I think art and business is moving beyond. Art has definitely moved beyond being ironic. You know, the days of those guys, there was this famous Chinese artist. He, he does, he, he did a, a massive installation that looked like a checkout counter of a supermarket. But when you walk into the, walk down the lane, you, you pick up the can and the can is empty. And it was this whole, an ironic take on capitalism. But I think an artwork like that, that was powerful a few years ago, right now will not have the same effect right now it's about what is beyond that irony what are we actually going to to do those will be the 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 rock stars will be the change makers and not the talkers the people on the ground and i think it's already happening producers are the new rock stars um writers uh, and and yeah anyway but john in terms of what you guys are doing the little that i've had to do with uh with Flissmas again and with uh, with Carmen and it's so cool what you guys are doing there and just on a it's very artistic actually it's very um, very very special and I hope that uh, there's ways that that these these things that you're doing can reach a broader audience because there's so many people that need to think about what you guys are talking about so I don't know if I had to make him a minister in the Republic of South Africa. I'd probably make it the Minister of Academics. I'd have to. I'm sure. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> oh, Faith, you, you've inspired me for decades as a woman. And I'll still say as a woman because I'm still living as a woman. I'm treated as a woman and I'm proud to be a woman. I've learned so, so much from you. There's one question I, I still wanted to ask, Faith. Sure. I know you want me to make her a minister, but I want to ask you one thing, Faith. In the beginning of your career, in 1975, back in the day when you started all of this, 
before the empire and the change and all these companies, how did you deal with the frustration of being misunderstood? You often speak about the fact that, you know, you tell people the future and then they don't want to know it. What kept you going those days in the beginning days? How did you do it? <laughs> what sign are you? Leo. I am a Taurus. Tauruses okay. put their heads down and go through walls, the bowl. And honestly, there is no okay. sense or sensibility and no great, you know, I, I knew I was right and blah. I just couldn't stop. I just kept going. You know, I just, I had to, you know, sometimes you just, why do you write songs or why do you sing or why do you write music? Most people that are doing something really authentic and wonderful is because they have to. I did not have a choice. Yes. And um, I did. I, I honestly made zero money for at least 10 years and not much like for the 10 after that. I didn't expect people to really believe me. They still don't believe me. They believe what I said before now. Yeah. But they yeah. don't believe what I'm saying is the future. So I'm yeah. an oppositional. I was an oppositional child and now I'm an oppositional grown up. Not that grown up. But- <laughs> <laughs> a little bit adolescent. So it was not courage. It was almost genetic. Wow. I get that. I really yeah, get that. I think so. The more they didn't believe me, the more outrageous I became. Mm. It fed me. It was the gas in my tank. Okay, you're not going to believe that? What about this? <laughs> uh, look at you now. Good for you. No, still, still. It's okay. It's fine. Oh, cocooning. My God, it's really happening. Yeah, where the hell were you in 1981 when you could have made a lot of money on this fact that people were looking for shelter? Where were you? Why were you laughing at me, P&G, when I said products would be delivered home and women do not socialize in the supermarket and they don't want to go to the supermarket. It's disgusting. And they don't want to ha- carry big boxes of Pepsi or Tide or, you know? Where were you when I said that you should have yeah. sex advice on the inside of boxes for female, you know, uh, for in, inside of soap boxes? Because that's what women needed or child care yeah. advice. Eh. So I don't know why I picked Fortune 200. That was ridiculous. But what will you name her as a minister? Faith would most definitely have to be the minister of the future. Yeah. You've definitely been the minister of my future. Thank um, you. This book, this book changed my life. Really? One of my least yeah. successful books. I love it. It's got everything in it. It's like a Bible. Um, Thank you. And I've, I've spoken to, to many interesting people, but I mean, I, I have to admit that my heart skipped a beat when Carmen said that I would uh, be able oh, to chat to you today. It's been my honor. And the highlight of my pandemic thus far. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got to write the song. We've got I to write really the song. want to. So you have to tell me how you write. I mean, like, what do you do? Pick a passion or how do you start? You've got to go and sit and write something down, whatever okay. it is that you're feeling. You write something down, some ideas, and then we look at those ideas and we work through it and we find sometimes it's the song and sometimes that's the start of the song. Okay. Because you've got to just mine your soul. What right. the song of your heart is uh, wow. at the moment. Yeah. So cool. Would I become a minister? You would have to be the minister of connections because you've got super hyper connectivity for some reason. It's a superpower. Like we all have our superpower and that's yours. 
you're hyper connected to what's going on. You just click into it, and sometimes it feels like you don't really know what you're doing, but you, <laughs> like, your mind is just like electricity and firing off. <laughs> things are firing. Yeah, there's no stopping you. So, yeah, oh, I love. That. I told yeah. you that, too. and it's and it's wonderful to be connected to you, Carmen. Me too. I feel that way, Carmen. And I have so much big love for all of you. And um, yeah, you this is this. And I miss you, Faith. And you, when you come here, you must let me know. And I then will. I'll fly with you to Cape Town. Okay. And then we all yes. go to the mothership. Okay. And we dock there. And we have good wine. Yes. Okay, now we're talking about <laughs> that. Karen's collection. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I would love to be with all of you. I'll be mm. back. I'll be back there. Will you sing us out? Bows and flows and angel hair And ice cream castles in the air And feathered canyons everywhere I've looked at clouds that way But now they only block the sun They rain in snow on everyone So many things I could have done the clouds got in my way <laughs> I've looked at life from both sides now From up and down and still somehow It's clouds, illusions, I recall I really don't know clouds at all Johnny Mitchell Beautiful I'm in tears. Oh, oh my so God, it was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Pleasure. Bye. 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 You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Uya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX Strategy, Persona Development and Customer Journey Mapping, CX Audits, UX Audits, and the Connected Marketer Training in Connected Customer Experiences, Mobile, Data Management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.